Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Coming up today on The Story. I started my own small business while I was in high school. It's quite a funny story how that I, I managed to find one of my dad's ABN numbers, register a new business name under it. Uh, because I was a member of a bunch of online forums, a bit of a tech geek, uh, I had some contacts that didn't know I was so young and they got me lined up with suppliers. I got a $100,000 credit account with a major national supplier. Uh, all this stuff, built my own website uh, and away it went. And then you know what? It, it took off like a weed. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Martin Isles is a lawyer and has served as Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, or ACL, since 2018. He began as the director before he was even 30 years old. Also, he started his own IT business when he was still in high school, so getting an early start on things is kind of a trend in Martin's life. We'll hear Martin Isles' full story today as he has a chat with Phil Edwards. Now, what I know is that you have um, some sisters, that, uh, or at least one, who can sing, and some. You're the youngest, yes, aren't you? Yes, I'm it? the youngest of five. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and we're all about a year apart in age. So we all grew up very close together. Three older sisters, uh, which really keep me on my toes and keep me humble, mm-hmm. uh, and one older brother who I'm very grateful for. Otherwise, I would have been stuck with the girls. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're in good company here because I'm the youngest of six. Oh, great! Uh, a little, okay. little more balanced. Three boys uh, and three girls, but um, the. Uh, uh, two two sisters kind of above me in the order of the family. Right, so, right. you know, I if my sister might be listening at the moment, she'll tell well, you some stories about how she used to pick on me. Well, you know, my sisters always say that I got it too easy because I was the youngest, but I have to remind them that as the youngest, you have a unique privilege. You can actually watch your older siblings go through life, make all their mistakes, <laughs> and you can take notes, and you don't make the same mistakes. So yeah. that's that's the benefit of being the youngest. <laughs> I don't think that's a guarantee for not making mistakes along the way, though. Oh, it worked so, all right for me, surely. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. All right, so let's let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. That's where I was born, and um, I grew up uh, in the well, near the Bayside area. Uh, and uh, yeah, went to it was a Christian family. Went to a local church on the south side, and. Um, yeah, life was good. I was very, very blessed to be born into a really rock-solid Christian family. One of God's greatest blessings on my life. Mm. I understand your dad was a doctor, is that right? That's or right. Still is a doctor. Still is, yeah, okay. That's right. He was a doctor, and he used to um, – he owned a, a medical clinic in Carina. Uh, and then ended up with a couple others as well. And so he was a bit of a businessman, a bit of a doctor. Um, well, a lot of a doctor, a bit of a businessman is probably the best way to put that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't want to be a bit of a doctor, do yeah, you? That could end badly. Right. Uh, but, yeah, that was the sort of environment that I grew up in. He was uh, he was a very busy man but always made time for family and church as a priority. Was a lay pastor too, so did a lot of teaching and ministry, a lot of Bible studies. Mm. So I actually grew up under my own dad's teaching to some degree, not because wow. it was some quirky cult, but just because he was one of the main teachers in the church I was at. Your mum? Uh, yes, her mum's a homemaker, uh, and she had enough kids to keep her on her toes. Uh, now she's a grandma to 10 grandchildren. Okay, and uh, you came along and that was the end of it. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was, well, that's, well, see, mum, mum was older when I was born, so my parents didn't get married until well in their thirties, yeah, uh, right. and okay. so uh, you know, to have so many children uh, was was a big blessing. Uh, and yep, I was the last one. Yeah. What do you remember most about your childhood? What do I remember most? I hate those questions because then you got to th- you're under pressure to pick the one thing, you know. Look, um, 
I probably look. I remember my home. To be honest, I yeah. remember where we grew up. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, mucking around in the yard. It's on a. It's a. It's an acreage block of land in the eastern suburbs of Brisbane. Uh, I remember, you know, me and my brother, we'd get little axes and we'd chop wood. We'd get, uh, we'd go out and plant things in the garden and help dad with all of the, you know, it was probably going around the garden, helping dad out with the many, many jobs as he slowly transformed this woolly acreage into a beautiful parkland over the course of about 10 years. Uh, that would be my number one memory, spending time at home. Mm. Is the property still in the family? It still is. In fact, uh, when I'm in Brisbane, I still stay there in a granny flat that didn't exist then. Yeah, okay. Uh, but a granny flat out the back, and uh, my uh, brother-in-law and sister uh, now uh, live there. Uh, my parents are actually on the same property in sort of a, 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 well, another granny flat. So, yeah, it's in the family. Yeah, good stuff. So through your teenage years, how would you describe those? A lot of people would say they are turbulent times when you're trying to figure out who you are and... Uh, find your way in the world. Was that your experience? Look, uh, it's funny. My mum sometimes jokes and she she says Martin was never a teenager. <laughs> so I don't you actually... I, apparently I skipped teenager. <laughs> so I don't actually know what that quite means. But it's interesting. I mean, now that you raise it, as I reflect on my teenage years, um, and this isn't something that came to me until afterwards when I was looking back, uh, but I had a number of um, challenges in my teenage years uh, from a health perspective. So I had quite a serious autoimmune condition, uh, right. which emerged when I was 10 years old. And that really, really did uh, set me, uh, caused me a lot of difficulty. Let's put it that way. It was very, very serious. Had multiple surgeries as a result of it, uh, medication that knocked me around no end. Uh, and so I did go through some real challenging times. But at the same time, I seem to have been very energetic. Maybe that's something that's never changed because I started my own small business while I was in high school. Okay. Uh, and uh, on the side, uh, while I was sort of dealing with that, but also trying to do very well at school, I also just got sick of, I was working at the Australian Geographic shop for eight bucks an hour or something. And I thought, oh, there's more to life than this. And uh, <laughs> it's quite a funny story how that I I, um, I managed to find one of my dad's ABN numbers, register a new business name under it. Uh, because I was a member of a bunch of online forums, a bit of a tech geek, uh, I had some contacts that didn't know I was so young and they got me lined up with suppliers. I got a $100,000 credit account <laughs> with a major national <laughs> supplier, uh, all this stuff, built my own website uh, and away it went. And then you know what? It, it took off like a weed. Uh, it wow. really... We were doing some seriously big volumes of stock and whatnot by the time I finished school. So this was in the IT space? It was in the IT space. So it started up as an online store, uh, and it always was that, but I sort of kind of ended up moving a bit into the uh, bit of business-to-business -business, uh, IT infrastructure, networking data products um, to you know universities were on my client list, property developers, all this kind of stuff. No one knew that I was a kid. <laughs> you know, I, I used to really- It sounds like a movie. <laughs> I used to go to great lengths to hide that, uh, but- People laughed, you know, it's people who meet me now who knew me then still say, you know, oh, that business you used to run, you know, it's, <laughs> it was a real feature. People thought it was great. So, and I had a great time. What mm. happened to that business? Well, you know, uh, I finished school and uh, I I always intended to go to university, always. I just never had in my head I was going to do business for the rest of my life. I wanted to throw myself into some profession and, and get into it. I thought I wanted to be a doctor uh, because my father was a doctor and I, I really liked the idea of doing that. But I started studying um, at the University of Queensland and six months in, I thought, look, this just ain't for me. Uh, and, and I was really distracted by making money and, you know, I was having, I was living a great life. I was having a lot of fun with the, the business and, mm -hmm. and all that was going on there. And so I, I deferred, quote unquote, which is a code for 
you know, quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ran that that business for a while, and ultimately, um, I I. I I always thought I'd go back to uni and actually through some really providential circumstances, it's quite strange actually, um, I ended up doing law and I'd never even thought of law right until like a month before the application deadline, simply through a providential meeting with a family friend from Singapore who said, you should be a lawyer. And then she got me a clerkship at a top tier law firm with no law degree, which is unheard of. Okay. Uh, and so I was at this top tier law firm as a non-law graduate or not even doing law with all the law uh, students. And, uh, and I, I did that and met a friend there at the law firm. And I thought, you know what? This is, this is for me. This works. My brain works this way. Mm. And, uh, and so I went into law. So how old were you then? Oh, that is a good question. Early 20s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, you ended up in law. You, you obviously uh, completed uh, your studies and, and got your degree. Mm-hmm. Where did that lead to? Well, I was working at a commercial law firm uh, around the time that I finished the degree. Uh, but in time, um, well, I, I certainly realised that working in a commercial law firm wasn't a whole lot of fun as a very junior <laughs> person. And, and me being the energetic sort that I was, sitting in a, a four-walled box all day, you know, pushing papers around was challenging. But that, I wasn't going to quit. I was going to stick with it and say, look, let's let's put my head down and do this. But I happened to do the Lachlan Macquarie internship, which is still running. Um, the Lachlan Macquarie Institute was started by the Australian Christian Lobby. It's now an independent entity, runs these programs for young people who are academically inclined and are interested in politics and public life. Mm-hmm. Went down to Canberra, did that. Chairman of ACL, Jim Wallace at the time, sat me down and said, why don't you come work at ACL? You know, we've got a chief of staff gig going. Uh, I said, nah. Went back to Brisbane. <laughs> uh, you know, he pursued me. I got thinking. My work situation started to open up and uh, I prayed about it. And when you pray about something, um, you know, sometimes it becomes very clear what you're supposed to do. So a lot of changes of circumstances with my church world. I was a youth, doing youth ministry at the time, running a youth group for uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, people from a whole varied range of backgrounds, teenagers, you know, some refugees and so on. Um, we had a great youth group going called Triple T, uh, which stands for Talking the Truth, which has been a bit of a theme in my life. Okay. But, but that all came to a natural end uh, and various things happened. And I thought, you know what, I think for whatever reason, uh, in this mad, mad world, uh, and under God's providence, I'm supposed to go to Canberra and do this job. So okay. I did. Okay. So Brisbane to Canberra. Yeah. Different, very different culturally, I imagine, between oh, those yeah. two places. And also the climate's pretty different between oh, those two. How'd, yeah. you, how'd you cope with that? Uh, well, I moved to Canberra and I thought, I'm only going to be here for a year. This was seven years ago. <laughs> uh, and I thought, I mean, I'm going to get out of here. I'm not staying. Uh, and so I lived that way for two years until I finally had to admit you know what, I think the Lord's got me here for a longer period of time. Uh, and it was then that I bought winter clothes because I realized I was going to stay down there. What, were you shivering before uh, that, I was, that point? I was freezing. You know, the warmest thing I had was a leather jacket. I thought scarves were for women, uh, you know. But in Canberra, I wear things for months that I couldn't wear even on one day of the year up here in Brisbane, you know. It's just extraordinary. So uh, I got the winter wardrobe, I settled in, and uh, I've grown to going to like Canberra in many ways. It's an easy lifestyle, but culturally, yeah, the public service and the political types down there are a little different to the easygoing Queenslanders. Mm. Just talk a little about that process of wrestling with, is this where I should be? So before you moved, and then the wrestling again of, yeah, I think this is where I'm going to be for a while. How did you cope with that? What process did you go through? Well, it's interesting. I mean, always um, I had my mind set on the fact that I would, and I prayed this, I would go wherever the Lord sent me and I would do whatever the Lord asked me to do. And I used to pray that and reflect and think, gosh, am I serious? 
Um, and I would pray it and say, look, and Lord, help me to make that true, you know, in my life. Uh, and so when doors opened, when I prayed about these things, when it became so clear, and God does make it so clear to you um, when he means you to do something, uh, for me, that was the end of the matter. And the circumstances worked out so well to get to Canberra that I thought, well, I know this is right, so I won't move from here until I know it's no longer right. And so you have those safe checkpoints in your life that you mm. rest on. And I rested on that, and I thought, heck, I really want to move on. But no, <laughs> I didn't get the, didn't get the green light. Mm. And I never did. I certainly transitioned into the Human Rights Law Alliance, which is a law firm that we started, which I stepped out of the Chief of Staff role, started a law firm to help people with freedom of religion, free speech cases, did that for a while. Uh, and then again, you know, I got the call to come back as managing director. Uh, and these are the things that just worked out. These are the things that the Lord put in front of me and effectively said, do this. Uh, and, um, you know, you can either do a Jonah and suffer the consequences of running away <laughs> from what God wants you to do, or you can take a deep breath, a gulp, and say, all right, let's go. Not too many fish in Canberra, thankfully. <laughs> Only the carp in the Murrumbidgee <laughs> River. <laughs> You're listening to The Story. Today, Phil Edwards is chatting with Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, who's sharing his life journey with us. We'll hear more of his story, including some of the unique challenges he faces, when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're back with more of Phil Edwards chatting with Martin Isles, who's sharing his life journey with us. Before the break, we heard how Martin became the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby in 2018. Next, we're going to hear more of his story, including the role his faith has played in his life. I understand you had a lot of pets as a kid. Yeah, we had uh, a couple of dogs. I think we had three dogs at one point. We had a cockatoo in a cage who used to talk to us. We had a whole aviary full of finches and birds, actually two of those. Uh, we had several pens full of guinea pigs, dozens and dozens and dozens of them at one stage. We had a chook pen full of chooks. We had geese. We had ducks. We had a bull. We had a cow. We had a Shetland pony. My goodness. Uh, we had, uh, did I say sheep? I don't know if I said we had a couple <laughs> of sheep. Uh, and so on and so on. We had every pet you can imagine. If it had legs? That's right. It was you the Isles it. household. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And what about today? Uh, today I don't have any animals. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I live in a one-bedroom apartment in oh. Canberra, and I'm never there. So okay. <laughs> that's pretty much. But you uh, could the, get a gecko. Uh, I, well, there's probably a gecko or two hanging around, freezing itself to bits in the uh, in the cold. Uh, but uh, there is still a, a few animals at the family property where my brother-in-law and sister are now raising their kids. So the tradition continues. Let's talk about your Christian testimony. You grew up in a Christian home, but at what point did you actually have that revelation for yourself of who God is? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've often reflected on this. A lot of people talk about, you know, a, a specific moment, a conversion experience. If I had to nail down a conversion experience, I reckon there'd be five candidates, you know. I'm sure one of them was it, but I don't know which one. My my experience started very, very young. I, I became very conscious, you know, very young of God 
uh, probably the environment that I was living in and growing up in. Mm-hmm. But the thing that troubled me, and when I say it troubled me, I mean I had a really, really troubled spiritual awareness at this time, and it went on for a couple of years at least, where I was really deeply concerned that, you know, God is real and there's something not right between me and him. Uh, I don't know him. I don't know whether he knows me. You know, I felt like there was a dislocation and alienation. And so I couldn't, I knew I couldn't say I was a Christian or I was converted or saved. And uh, that bothered me and it bothered me and it bothered me. And uh, I used to pray and nothing would happen. I'd think, what should happen? I don't know what should happen, you know, and so on and so on. But it was interesting. One day I opened the Bible and I was reading it because I thought if I start reading the Bible, maybe God will speak to me and I'll get an answer to my concern. And I read in Jeremiah where it says, Seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I thought, well, that's what I need to know because I don't know right now whether I'm right with God. I am troubled by my spiritual situation. But there's a promise, right? Seek me and you will find me mm. when you search for me with all Very your definite. heart. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'll seek and I'll keep seeking. And the day came when I when I knew, you know, I remember being very conscious of my sinfulness very young. I remember in year one hiding in the boys' toilets because I'd done the wrong thing and I was praying to God and saying sorry, you know. So there's repentance experiences. Uh, there's been other, you know, growth moments like that where I, I look back and I think, wow, I am so blessed because God was at work in my life from the very, very beginning. Mm. And uh, that has never changed. Um, he even put me in a church context where, you know, even from the age of 15, you know, this is like a this is like a Charles Spurgeon thing. It's the same thing for him, I think. I was, I was preaching sermons at sort of 16 years old. Mm. Uh, I was running Bible studies by the time I was 17, 18. We were, I was a youth leader at 19. Uh, and, you know, we read through and studied every verse of the New Testament with these 20 non-church background kids uh, over six years. Uh, and so all that... All that learning and all that, you know, dedication uh, has paid huge dividends. And God's been with me through all of that, and he's used the things that I've read and learned to teach me all along the way. Just in practical terms, coming back to that promise in Jeremiah, to seek me and you will find Mm me, what did you do to try and seek God? I'm thinking of someone listening right now going, how do you do that? Yeah, that's actually a very good question and a good point. What I did was I thought, well, where will I find God? And the first answer was, well, in the Bible. Uh, and so I decided that I would I would dedicate myself to actually reading and studying the Bible to find God and find what he requires of me. Uh, the other thing I knew was that I could talk to God. And so I prayed and I prayed often and I continued to pray that God would show himself to me and that God would save me. And uh, so there was prayer, there was reading. And the other thing was, I guess, and I didn't have a choice in this matter, but in retrospect, uh, you know, church was a part of it as well because by going to church, you'd hear the word of God explained and taught and you would you would learn more of him. Uh, and so those were actually the three points in life which I, which I could pursue mm. to seek God. And, you know, those who seek, they do find, and God does reveal himself to the person who, who pursues him. Mm. I'm fascinated to learn how you, uh, a relatively young man, ended up at the head of the Australian Christian Lobby. Um, How did that come about? Well, uh, I had just turned 29, actually, when I was asked to take the job. So it was, I mean, when you've got an age that has the word 20 in front of it Mm. in a job like that, it it raises some eyebrows. Um, But it's really interesting. You know, I was running the uh, director of the Human Rights Law Alliance at the time, which is now a law firm that helps people with religious freedom cases, and it's still going, and it's run by a very capable lawyer called John Steenhoff. And uh, anyway, it was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, late 2017. 
And I thought I'd love to go over to Germany and Europe uh, and learn a thing or two about the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but uh, I went over there with a couple of mates and uh, we walked in the footsteps of Calvin and Luther and Zwingli and Jan Hus and all these guys. Man, it was just a life-altering experience for me. I remember in the plane on the way home, I was just sitting there reflecting and thinking, these guys lived in fear of their lives. They did whatever it took for the cause of truth and the gospel. Uh, they were men of incredible grit and bravery, men of incredible holiness and men of, you know, just learning. I thought, I am useless. You know, I felt really, really like I was a coward and I was useless and what am I doing in my life and all this. And I just started to pray and I just said, Look, Lord, if there's something you would have me to do, that uh, I will do it. And then I thought, oh, that's a stupid thing to pray because uh, I'm no John Calvin and I'm certainly not. Uh, But I was reading uh, Exodus at the time and I read the story of Moses where God says to Moses, "Uh, go to Pharaoh. And Moses, of course, says, I can't do that. (laughs) You know, like, I'm not a madman. If he had a tail, it would be between his legs. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, and, And God said, but I will go with you. And I thought, that's meaningful. And I thought, you know what, if God was to go with me to do something meaningful, then that would make all the difference. And so I prayed about that. I said, look, if there's something that you, the Lord would have me to do. I landed in Sydney. My phone rang. I answered the phone. It was Lyle Shelton, Managing Director of ACL. Lyle starts telling me that he's going to quit in a couple of months. He's going to end his tenure there. I'm thinking, yes, okay. And he says, Martin, you know what I'm going to say? I said, no. He said, I want you to take my job. And I thought to myself, oh, no. <laughs> oh, hang on. That's, what did I just pray? That's not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> this, isn't, this is not it. This is not it. Uh, and I actually went, I felt cold because uh, I thought, I, I don't think I can do that. But of course, that's what Moses thought because I'd seen Lyle do the job. And I saw how hard it was and I mm. saw how costly it was and I saw, you know, the challenges you face. And I knew then and there that I had to say yes. I prayed about it for eight weeks, but I knew then and there that I had to say yes. And I said yes, and uh, here we are three years later. And I've got to say, uh, but that God goes with you in anything, you know, you're, you're ruined. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I'm very pleased to say that uh, the Lord has been with us and has done really great things. Yeah. You mentioned before, 29, it's pretty young to take on a role like that. And I imagine there were a few people that were you know, looking down their nose at you almost. How did you feel? Uh, I felt, uh, oh, I felt, it's interesting when you're doing every single day, when every single thing you do every single day is something that you have never done before uh, and it's all new, it's actually a deeply stressful experience mm. uh, and it weighs on you and, and, and burdens and you and all the rest of it. But like I said right at the start, you know, in those moments when you're chucked in front of them you know, on 60 minutes, ABC, you know, on um, nine, Channel 9, 60 minutes to yep. get to get whacked over controversial issues, you know, to uh, to go in front of Senate committees and, 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 and go toe-to-toe with politicians on policy who really don't like what you stand for and all this stuff. You know, it clarifies something for you. When you're in those moments, you do what Moses did and you say, I can't do this. I just can't do it. And fine, you prepare all you can and you think about it, but man, you pray. And I always say to people, the two keys are preparation and prayer. And if you go in there knowing who your real audience is, and it's God, and if you go in there fully focused, not on the people all around you or the popularity that, you, that you're not going to get <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, but on, on, on what is right and true, that's the secret. And it's really clarifying. And it's actually a magnificent thing when God helps you to live that way. And uh, it's certainly been a lesson for me starting out so young with so many new challenges. Mm. 
Uh, I guess we see often where you might be in a position, uh, whether it's on 60 Minutes or Q&A or you know, some other forum, where the theatre of television and the theatre of the debate is all about opposing sides clashing. Mm. Uh, we see that. What we don't see, though, the other conversations that might happen perhaps afterward. Have you had any, without naming names, have you had instances where those that you've been engaging within a debate have actually come back to you afterward and said, actually, you got some good points here, or I want to talk through this some more with you. Look, that actually uh, has happened in uh, not on a TV gig. On the TV gigs, it's sort of in and out, you know, uh, and um, uh, very often you, you do put rocks in people's shoes so they're not totally comfortable with you afterwards, <laughs> you know, to put it lightly. It's a good picture. Uh, yeah, and uh, that, that's the reality. But I have actually spoken uh, at a very major forum. Uh, it, was a, it was a debate, actually. And, uh, yeah, a couple of the people who were in the management committee of that forum did come and speak to me afterwards. And they just wanted to pick my brains and they asked me. You know, I remember one of the journalists actually said, you know, he just started asking really serious questions. He put his, put his, uh, his computer down and he just said, you know, why don't, why don't you ever doubt? Uh, and I knew he meant it. It was yeah. for real. Yeah. Uh, and we started a really good conversation. So, you know, doors do open. But I also think sometimes, particularly if you go on, say, the Sunday Project, and you get the opportunity to actually articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ on the Sunday Project. And you think of the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are watching that, particularly young people all over the country. And I think, you know, God's word doesn't return void. The gospel of Jesus Christ does have an impact. It does have fruit. Yeah. You know, I'll never know the full extent of the fruits of some of those experiences. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful to hear your story. That was Phil Edwards having a chat with Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, or ACL, a role he's been in since 2018. To find out more about Martin and the work of ACL, their website is acl.org.au. Once again, that's acl.org.au. Finally, I really liked how Martin shared about his own faith journey and the role the Bible verse Jeremiah 29.13 played in his life. That verse says, Seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's a promise from God that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us and make himself known. That's something that we can count on and build our lives on. Well, how about you? Can you relate to where Martin was and are you seeking God and wanting to know him? If you'd like to pray with someone about this so that you too can know God, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Martin Isles' story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.